we're going to take a break from the show to feature a new segment that discusses an often overlooked aspect of the business. I'm speaking about creating a family-friendly environment inside the restaurant industry. With help from our friends at Family Forward NC, which is a program of the North Carolina Early Childhood Foundation, a nonprofit that works to support children and their families across the state, we're going to discuss ideas, resources, and testimonials from those that work within the company, as well as actual restaurant owners that have implemented family-friendly practices while working with Family Forward NC. Welcome Amy Diaz of the Diaz Group in Asheville, North Carolina. Amy, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you doing? Doing great. Will you tell us a little bit about your company and uh, and the restaurants that you have in your group so our listeners know with whom we are speaking? Of course. My husband, Hector Diaz, opened Salsa in 2006. We opened Modesto Trattoria, which is a fine dining establishment Italian in the historic Grove Arcade. And in 2012... Uh, we opened Bomba, which is a little coffee shop, downtown corner cafe. So specifically working in conjunction with Family Forward NC, what kind of values have you taken from that process? So this is an interesting question, and I've really thought a great deal about this. There's something that creates stress that working with Family Forward has really helped me to identify, which is because there's so much human-to-human contact, we haven't really had a technological modality or platform in place so that we could maybe plan those family vacations well in advance. We just recently changed our payroll company and the way that we're processing payroll. So it will be a little bit easier for our group to maintain that PTO and those accrued hours. And I think that having a calendar, you know, it sounds so funny, but having an online calendar in place with, you know, particular blackout dates and times that maybe are more desirable for vacation time, I think it will mitigate some stress that comes when you're just sort of talking about it and not everybody know on the team knows exactly when one of their teammates will be missing and being able to plan, you know, that much further in advance, that makes sense. Yeah. And we all know that when you can have a vacation time with your family, it's planned ahead of time. One that gives you something to look forward to. So you can really sink your teeth into work. And then it gives you the time when you're actually on vacation to feel relaxed and like you're away and you don't have responsibilities at work. And then you come back a better employee. Right. And it also gives your coworkers time to, you know, figure out what they're going to do, you know, while they balance out your shifts, maybe they have children that they need to provide care for, et cetera. So what do you guys do specifically in your restaurants to create those family-friendly environments? What has happened here is that we have, we're working in a high-risk industry. And what I have discovered is that we are managing and mitigating a lot of fear. And there is no app to manage fear. When, when we're confronted with life or death situations in the workplace, right, which one could argue that we are currently, it just takes a lot of humanity and humility to escort and to lead an organization through all of that. And I have needed support to do those things. And I think that working with Family Forward has really put a lot in perspective for me. It's allowed me to understand why we might have and experience certain conflicts at certain times of the year. It's really helped me to articulate scientifically overlay all of those things so that I can be a better leader and provide 
multiple layers of communication. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to check in every morning at eight o'clock and say hi to my team. It means that there is another way. If they can't get to work that day, they can get on their phone and they can see that we are at work and I can better manage expectations. That's critical right now. So I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, these conversations that we have had really truly been invaluable. Is there any better endorsement for reaching out to Family Forward NC? So if you're a restaurateur out there and you need some support as well to figure out how to better your business or keep it family friendly, visit FamilyForwardNC.com. Family Forward NC is an innovative initiative of the North Carolina Early Childhood Foundation. Family Forward NC can provide your company with resources and support to help you implement practices like paid leave, flexible work and scheduling, health benefits and flexible spending accounts, child care support, and more. For more information, please visit FamilyForwardNC.com. Business smart, family friendly, future ready. We'll take a quick moment to talk about one of our favorite companies. I'm talking about Triangle Wine Company, purveyors of fine wine and craft beer. The Triangle Wine Company offers local delivery, in-store pickup, curbside service, wine shipping, and keg rental. With locations in Morrisville, Cary, Holly Springs, Southern Pines, and soon to be Raleigh, they are here to service the community for all of your beverage needs. And be sure to use the NCFB promo code to receive a nice discount when placing your orders. Visit trianglewineco.com or call them at 1-800-919-7518. Hey, I want to speak to you about Proof Alcohol Ice Cream. That's right. Think differently about your dessert because now in a new year, they brought back an old favorite. I'm talking about their bourbon chocolate cherry ice cream. First released last year, they brought it back again for the second time because it's so delicious. Made daily in Columbia, South Carolina. Look for the red pints and coolers at Lowe's Foods, Total Wine, Harris Teeter, and of course, Triangle Wine Company. Find out more information, go to proofalcoholicecream.com or visit any of their 200 retail locations across the Carolinas and Florida. You are listening to the North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast. Thank you for downloading and subscribing. Coming to you virtually live from high atop the historic Raleigh building in beautiful downtown Raleigh. The NCF&B takes the listener behind the scenes to tell the stories of the people that contribute to the creation of the food and beverage community of North Carolina. And now, the misfits in the dish pit, the faces of the front. They are Max Trujillo and Matthew Weiss. Hello, and thank you for listening to the North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast. I am your co-host, Max Trujillo. And I am your co-host, Matthew Weiss. And today we have a very important episode and kind of how to learn and how to ensure proper service. Now, many of you listening probably know what the acronym is for that, so I don't think I need to say it. But uh, we're going to talk about how that affects people's businesses and cultures today and living wages. And uh, we have a very special panel uh, to talk about that, some local business owners, and uh, one now all the way out there in Seattle to tell us about how the West Coast does it. We'll get to him later. But uh, without further ado, let me introduce our panel. The first three that are going to be talking to you, 
She, this young lady, has been mentioned a lot on the show when we had our Acme episode with <laughs> Chef Kevin Callahan, and that is one Francesca Mason, who is of the Damn Good Food Group, which owns Acme Plum and very recently opened Heyday Brew Pub, yeah. which I'm excited about. Uh, and then also joining us, uh, a guy that I've a long time asked to be on this show, but he uh, he's he's keeping his knowledge uh, within the Carborough community and now Hillsborough, as he is the owner of Glass Half Full in Carborough and Napoli Pizza in Hillsborough. Mm-hmm. And most important to this conversation, he's also a member and ardent supporter of the Orange County Living Wage team. One Jim Wald. And then finally for this segment, another gentleman that we talk about often on the show, we have great banter with. Uh, He is the owner of Alley 26 in Durham and also Crook's Corner in Carborough slash Chapel Hill. I'm not quite sure it sits on the uh, border there, but Chapel Hill. Hill, Thank you. And that is the Chapel Hill address. address. (laughs) And that is the voice of one Shannon Healy. Uh, and then also later, uh, we will get to the owner of Tip House, which is a company that really knows how to work out the tips from a very technolo- technological level, and that is Leif Magnuson of Tip House, the CEO. All right. I think uh, introductions are out of the way. Nicely done, Matt. And uh, Francesca Mason, today is your beautiful boy's birthday. It is. What? Yeah. Forrest Mason, who's a friend of the show and helped us do a lot of special projects, both at the kitchen, for food scene, for the NCF&B, uh, something else about food. Anyhow, Forrest's a good dude. You married him. He makes good decisions. You make good decisions. Uh, but uh, happy birthday, Forrest. Francesca, let's get into it. You just opened Heyday Brewing out there near Wake Tech in North Raleigh. But uh, what what's going on with this burgeoning new food group? Yeah, so um, so I'm the chief financial officer for Acme, Plum in Durham, Heyday in Raleigh, and then also Carber United, um, the local food hub. Um, so we have recently added a, a service charge to our, our bills for restaurants for to-go and dine-in, um, just based on a little lower than you might normally get as a tip, but just enough for us to be able to guarantee a living wage for our front and back of house employees with an option to add a tip on as well if a customer so chooses. We'll dive into that a little bit more yeah. specifically as I just recently went to Heyday and, and saw what you did there. But let's uh, let's go around the room again. So let's go to Jim. Jim, what is the uh, the situation at Glass Half Full? How do you guys structure your tips out there? Interestingly enough, we were planning to eliminate tipping last April. The Splinter Group was working on a, a marketing campaign for us. Basically, it was going to be that we were going to raise the prices. At that point, we were going to do 22%. We had done a survey of our mailing list and customers and what they uh, thought. 77% were in favor of it. And then the pandemic hit. Hmm. So since then, we've just been doing um, takeout. Uh, it's a heat and serve concept. And then during the pandemic, we also opened uh, Napoli and Hillsborough, and we're doing takeout there also. Mickey and I at class always felt that paying people well was important to us. I mean, that's what we did from the start. We were certified living wage back in 2015. At that point, 
I think we only had to raise two employees a quarter an hour to get to be uh, fully certified. Currently in Napoli, everybody is making over $20 an hour. At Glass, the uh, starting wage is 16. And that's back of the house and front of the house? Back of the house. You're saying it for everybody? Everybody. You know, we didn't want to go with a, a surcharge. You know, to me, that felt like I was just kicking the can down the road and still having some sort of a tip system uh, involved. And also the idea of somebody feeling that they can buy better service and that one person is responsible for their service is, is absurd. You know, one line comes out wrong and nobody gets their food uh, in a timely manner. Some, you know, maybe it needs to be redone. Maybe the order was wrong. Host double seats or triple seats somebody, that affects service. The whole thing is a team and you can't buy that service from one person. The whole concept seemed wrong. And also you weren't buying or paying for service any longer anyway, because everybody is supposed to leave a certain amount of tips. So it's an obligation. So basically what we've done is we're co-employers. You know, us as employers, we're paying 213 or whatever an hour, and we're relying on the other co-employer to pay the balance of, of their, their wages. And we're giving that, that co-employer the opportunity to treat the people, our servers, our, our employees, any way they want. They could touch them. They could discriminate against them because they're heavy, because they're black, because they're Hispanic. Nobody is getting the same tip. You know, people who dress flashy get a better tip. Have a flower in their hair, they get a better tip. They're white, they get a better tip. I just want to take all of that out. I mean, we've had incidents where we've had employees running to the, to the back hall when somebody would come in and sit there crying until they left. It's not a way to run a business. Oh, I, I want to sink my teeth into what you're saying right now, but I just do want to shift it over to Shannon uh, to just talk about what he's doing as well with his, and then let's bring it back in. And because what you said right now, just I want to, I want us all to have some perspective on that and some some thoughts. But uh, but real quick, Shannon, uh, explain to us a little bit uh, what's going on with Alley Twenty Six, how you guys have, have set it up as well, uh, so we can just kind of paint the picture wholly. Well, Alley Twenty Six has always been a tip pool, but now. <laughs> you know, it's the pandemic. So everything is just whatever the fuck it is. Uh, it's, it's always been a tip pool. I, having worked at Crooks and in other restaurants for years before I opened Alley in 2012, starting with a tip pool from the beginning was really, really important to me because Crooks, when I worked there the first time from 20, from 2000 to 2012, uh, was an old school restaurant. You know, the tips were, you know, the waiters got tipped and had to tip out the bar and the bus and the host. You know, it was just the way, you know, everybody did it for, you know, that restaurant's been there for 40 years. So it started a little earlier. And, and is just that like, the same way at Crooks now? No. But so when I started at, at, at Alley, uh, to, to Jim's point, I didn't want that because the idea that one person is giving you service is complete nonsense. Like, we can't expect our hosts and our bussers and everybody else to be as like team oriented. And, you know, you work in a restaurant in the old school and it doesn't matter what restaurant you worked in. I worked in a whole bunch before Crooks. So it's, I'm not saying Crooks's way of tipping was 
even like they came up with the model that was the standard model. Yeah. So every place I worked at, it seems like the poor host had to deal with not only the, the people coming in and maybe managing the expectations of people that wish they could sit now, even though they have no reservation, but then they have to manage the expectations of the waiters who all feel like, but, but you're sitting this person better than me, or you double sat me, or you triple sat me, or you didn't set me enough, or you didn't sit me every seven and a half minutes. It's like, it's impossible to do it that way. And they're all, you know, the host is spending half their time talking to the waiter about whether or not they did on the, but do kids count? It's like, Oh, for Christ's sake, yeah. spent half this time just pleasing the guest. We'd all make more money. Yeah. This would all be easier. The guests would get better service. So the whole team, even if it's not set up to be a team, it has to be a team. So why, why does the compensation to Jim's point vary based on, you're being in basically being in, in business with the people who happen to walk in. So if I happen to seat people in your section tonight, you know, people tip what they tip people. There's this myth that you're paying for a specific kind of service, right? Whereas if you've been in this business long enough, you understand, like, if you just look at, listen, think about yourself, you're like, okay, I walk in and I know what I tip. Like, you're really gonna have to try hard to make me come off that. Like, even if yeah. I'm mad at you because I'm One in this- One way or another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either up or down, mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to have to be something weird to justify me tipping more extravagantly than as a person in the service industry that I normally tip. But other people, you know, if they fit tip 50%, they're a 15% tipper. So it's just luck of the draw who gets sat in your section and, you know, whether they tip uh, well or whether they tip poorly based on what, whatever rationale they have most of the time has nothing to do with the service they got anyway. So if we could spread that out over this, everybody understands that everybody works really hard and everybody can depend on a wage that's better. And I wanted to do two things when I first opened in 2012, which was A, make it more of a team sport, but B, even back then I was wishing we could just get rid of tipping, but you know, you can't be the only person doing it. They'll just look at your menu and say, it's too expensive. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to do the math in their head. So it's, it's, so the, I understand the idea of like a service charge or whatever to kind of like prove it. Um, or at least I think maybe they're closer yeah. now than they were then. But first there's that. It's like, I don't want them to, I want to make it a team sport, but also a lot of the people that are, we get in this business tend to feel like they're on a team of one, like, Oh, it's my section. Right. Don't even talk to my table. This is my section. I'm running my own little fiefdom. And then they're not running food for other people and they're not doing other stuff. And they, you know, or they also like have a big night and they go out and blow it. And then a week later, they're like, man, I don't make any money here. It's like, well, <laughs> well, yeah, let's speak to that for a quick moment too, because I want the listeners to also know that, uh, and I can't speak for everybody here, except for, I can't speak for Matt because I know he and I were both tipped employees for a very long time. We were bartenders, we were waiters, um, you know, as a host, as uh, a sommelier tip, tip sommelier. position. Um, and so coming from the perspective of the server, we all know some of us are better at these jobs. And I say better, I mean, some tend to bring in more tips than others. And it's that exemplary service that some people know. And that's why, like, that's why Matt and I became, or I shouldn't say it's why, but we became sommeliers because we learned so much about it. We had this want, this drive. We wanted more from just the basic position of being, say, a server or a bartender, we knew that having that education kind of gave us a little bit more clout in the industry or whatever, and knowledge is power, and that 
that serve to it. So when you go to a tip house and you're like an all-star server, you look around and you see these you know, numbnuts over here that just started being a server. And this, this person over here doesn't know anything. And yet they're going to make the same type of money that I'm making. So that's where that, that understanding of saying it is kind of my section and I make my money because I can make more money because I'm better at my job than someone else. So uh, what would you say, who would like to respond to that? Max, if if you were the true employer and paying a true wage, you reward the person who's doing a better job by giving them a raise. You know? Hmm. You so you mean like overall, like if, if, uh, somebody, if, if somebody, Matt comes to work for you and he's known as a great, fantastic server and just by his mean, reputation, if, because uh, we don't really know if Matt really is, <laughs> but let's suppose uh, he's fantastic. Would he then kind of come in not as a, a $15 an hour guy, but he'd come in more as like a $19 an hour guy because he has a, a great resume and you know that his performance is better? Is that how that works? Well, Okay. You're, you're choosing 15 or 19. We did a study of all of those servers at Glass, including you know lunch to comparing lunch people to dinner people, people who worked both shifts, people who worked earlier in the week to later in the week. The lowest paid server tips and and wage was $23. So you know if if we're starting there, uh, somebody coming in, yeah, I would say that that when you first come in, you're going to start somewhere around there. And then based on your performance, you would get a raise. Uh, You know, it's easy to see what sort of revenue you're bringing in shift to shift compared to other people. And that would go back to what your tips would have been. And then you're rewarding the people who are upselling, talking about the specials better, uh, selling more wine. You know, Mm -hmm. that would then reflect in what their hourly wage would be. I have a question in terms of the, so we're moving to this model. Oh, and by the way, Shannon, does that mean when you say team sport, now you have our, we have your blessing to talk about sports on the show? <laughs> uh, no, but it, contact sport, man. Oh, okay. fair <laughs> enough. No, but seriously. Uh, so interesting in what Francesca you're doing and then Jim, what you were saying, because in my mind, I see it almost as the, as the same way in both ways. You're passing, not passing, but asking the customer or Jim, you said as a sort of a co-employment scenario uh, where they're paying more and they're, 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 they are sort of supplementing the wage. No, what it currently is, is a co-employment scenario. What okay. Is I eliminate them as an employer of a server Mm-hmm. And I am the employer of all of my uh, my staff. Okay. Well, this is what I'm asking. Your 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 model was to raise prices in general and eliminate tipping. Correct. That's that's the idea, Francesca. What you're saying is we're just going to put a supplement on top, and then you can choose to tip, and hopefully you will still tip or whatever it will equal more than what you were tipping before. So, in my mind, that's just two ways to skin a cat, but you're still skinning the cat. No. So, how how do mean, you guys see that so, differently? Uh, if okay, if I'm guaranteeing a wage, an hourly wage to somebody, they have an expectation of what they're going to make that day. There's still, with a, a surcharge, a variation of what you're going to make day to day. It changes the way you live, where you plan, where you go down the road. You do a better job, you get a, you you get a raise. You do a better job there. You still have your your ten percent, fifteen percent surcharge. Uh, they are different. 
Okay. And I'll answer. So for for the service charge, where we thought it was important to highlight that it was a living wage service charge is really all about transparency. We could raise the menu prices, but then you as the guests don't know exactly where all those dollars are going. What we are pledging to you is that every penny of this living wage service charge goes towards making sure that everyone you know, gets to their guaranteed minimum wage. And we also do, you know, we have some employees that we might guarantee a higher hourly wage because of certain, you know, skills that they bring, expertise that they bring. But back to Jim's point, you know, we are still guaranteeing that wage. And so even if not enough service charge comes in or not enough combination of service charge and tips come in, we are still, at at least at at the restaurants that I'm working with, uh, we are currently guaranteeing a specific wage so that people can plan so that they know, hey, if I go in for a four-hour shift, I know I'm at least going to make this much, you know, and uh, that really helps sort of like, especially during the pandemic, right? Like we didn't know day to day if we were going to have any guests and to bring people on and give them confidence that, you know, regardless of what the restaurant might make today, we want to make sure that you feel okay about dedicating your time to this, this place. And then I think also what the service charge does is helps us even out inequities between back and front of house. Because again, as a service charge, we can have that go towards getting to the living wage for back of house and front of house. So it's like a hybrid there. Like yeah. you still have that basis. So you know that you're going to make at, at the, you have a base essentially, but mm-hmm. you can make more based upon, let's say you, you there, you instead of getting a raise, you get incentivized by if you do better at your job, you could theoretically bring in more tips. Right. Well, and it also means that for, you know, for back of house in, in the past, like if they had a busy night, they just got crushed. They And yeah. they made the same on a busy night that they did on a slow night, right? So there's no incentive for them there. But if we're bringing in, you know, service charge based on sales, and then back of house can also share in that wealth, um, you know, it motivates them to do a better job and to work harder. It's kind of a weird uh, scenario in that I know that during the Obama administration, it was something that was overturned. And then in the Trump administration, it was changed back. But I'm, what I'm talking about is the sharing of tips to go to the back of the house. And I believe, Jim, I think you know about this. If, if you don't take the tip credit, so if all of your people are paid a minimum wage of seven seven twenty five an hour, the tips could be distributed to all of your employees. Okay, as long as everyone's making the federal minimum wage, you can disperse. If the federal government is not giving you that tip credit on your taxes, if you're not taking that money back uh, as a tip credit, you can redistribute that uh, that any way you want, and the owner or management can even keep the money. So, and in that scenario, that is hopefully not a situation that's shared by many restaurants where they're they're fumbling with trying to pay people at least 725 an hour we're talking right now that thinking that a livable wage is more than that 15 and higher an hour charge so the tip credit shouldn't really be there as a safety net it's just for those unfortunate times when service is really slow and there's not a, a lot of tips to go around but it but it sounds as if most i just know from my experience as a as a general manager that i don't think i ever had a scenario where our servers or even our back of house employees were making less than the federal minimum wage of 725. It's not what they're making in tips, it's what they're making from you, the employer. Right. So, hourly. The 213 that's legal in North Carolina, you're taking the tip credit. You cannot distribute tips to the back of the house. 
if you pay them the full minimum wage, then you can distribute tips to the back of the house. Okay, so so like here in North Carolina, since we're a North Carolina show, because servers can work at 213, if you want to be able to distribute money, this is just for everyone to know, everyone that's listening, you must pay your employees at least the federal minimum wage, which is 725, Correct. and then you can distribute tips front and back of house. I think that's something that a lot of people don't know, and they should know that, because at least if that's the case... You're, you, as a, I'm talking to business owners, rarely probably have someone that's a server that's making less than seven twenty five an hour anyhow. So if you just cut to the chase, pay them that minimum, minimally, then everyone can share in that, that disbursement of funds, which would more than likely average out far higher than seven twenty five anyways. And also, I think we need to get away from talking about the minimum wage in terms of hours. We really need to talk about it as, as a yearly wage. You know, can anybody live on $15,000 a year or can it, is it, it's even hard to live on the 31,000 that would be the $15. So I think we need to talk about real numbers in real life. Yeah. Like these are the bills that I have for the month, uh, just to live groceries, car payment, rent, and just quality of basic life. I got to get my Hulu i got to get Hulu and my Disney Plus, and now Peacock's running around. Uh, but yeah, but all of those little things do add up. Maybe we should bring in our uh, our, our last guest as well. This is like uh, if you watch real time, it's like we start talking on the pot panel, and then eventually we bring in the uh, our celebrity guest. No, but uh, but I'm talking to you, Leaf. Great name, by the way, Leaf Magnuson. It, I was expecting you to be lifting huge barbells when you came on. Remind me Look of- like Thor. Yeah. After the meeting. Yeah. And we'll pretend we'll keep that narrative going. He's yoked, everybody. So, uh, but, but Leaf, you do run tiphouse.com. You're based out there in Seattle. You're the CEO of the company. Uh, just for a brief understanding, let us know what your company does so we can understand kind of where you're coming from. Yeah, so we, we came into the market uh, a few years ago. Um, I was I was a consultant for a restaurant group at the time. It was a 10-unit restaurant chain up here in Seattle. Um, they were onboarding a new point of sale. One of the when you, one of the things that we needed or that I needed to do um, was was kind of figure out how to handle tips with this new new point of sale. Um, kind of went with a with a big competitor in the space, and it just didn't do. It didn't make things as fair as we wanted it to be, and and this is coming from the restaurant group as as I'm trying to deploy the software. So um, I got together with some um, some friends up here that that are also uh, software developers, and we came up with a, with a, a more intrinsically equitable way to distribute tips. Um, and so we, we'll plug into the point of sale, gather all the, the clock in, clock out data, and then we gather all the sales data, um, and then we're, our our whole mission is to allocate those tips based on when people are actually working exactly. So if I know if you're working from one to three um, and these sales came in in this period of time, we can allocate those um, exactly to the to the minute, which is easier conversation to have with employees than some obscure AM and PM shift assignment of tips, right? Uh, because nobody clocks in and out, uh, you know, when the shifts end and begin. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the gist of, of, of what we, uh, what we um, provide. 
I happen to know that like when I was um, when I was at Y Hill, we were experimenting with some options. We've talked about toast in the in the in the in the history. A lot of people are using toast now. They've kind of almost become the re- restaurant industry standard, yeah. which is crazy. They kind of just they were this tiny little company, and now they're they're pretty massive. They do have a tip pool option, which if you understand how it works, it feels fair. But then there are a lot of flaws to it if you don't schedule it correctly and so through um through the hard work through through a lot of sur- like trial and error that i was doing at y hill uh we figured out a, a solution but basically it's not a little it's not too dissimilar to what you're mentioning where uh if just say a a, a, a table a big table came in and spent a lot of money and left a lot of tip at noon whoever was working at noon at that time would share in that particular amount of tip so that if somebody came in and worked the, the night shift and started at 5 p.m they'd have nothing to do with that big noon tip and, and, and what you're describing i mean toast toast has a, a built-in feature for tip pooling we, we we consider tip pooling separate from tip sharing tip pooling for us is like we'll take all tip earners and split tips equally amongst when they're clocked in um, tip sharing is when we take a, a tip earners tips and distribute it out to like a supporting staff member okay yeah toast does tip pooling they do not do tip sharing in, in real really at all most of our customers actually come from toast at this point yeah that's where and and so and not like i mean i guess it's a plug for your company we are not being paid by tip house by the way he's just a guy that i was talking with and i thought oh this is a good company let's get some more insight but I'm not getting just, paid for this. <laughs> you should be paid. I'm, I'm getting paid. There you go. So, uh, but the idea is that, um, yeah, tip sharing back in the old days, like when Matt and I were at Cafe Del Rey in Los Angeles, <coughs> it was you made your own money, and then you had your backup team. You had your bus boys or our server assistants, whatever you want to call them, porters, and then you had your hosts. And so, whatever it was, like if you were a server, you'd pay you, whatever your net or your gross tips were. You'd say you give ten percent of those to the bar, and then you'd yeah. give five um, percent, let's say, to the the busser, and then one percent to the host or whatever that number was. But it yeah. was always like a supplemental feature, and that's something that yeah, like Toast doesn't offer that specifically. They're just kind of dividing it up between everybody, which is that was kind of the problem that I had at, at Y Hill is that. Sometimes you have somebody that you only want for the high volume of, of traffic and you just need someone that can just clear plates and just go, yeah. go, go and be done. But if that person's a part of the tip pool and they only work from seven to nine, those like crazy busy hours, they're actually making like $55 an hour. Yeah. And so to everybody else that's working, they're like, whoa, wait, this guy came in and just cleared plates and just walked out of here with <laughs> 180 <it>. bucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I does anybody else have that scenario happening or 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 have you, what have you done to circumvent that scenario where you just have kind of the the high high time backup person that comes in to help on those busy Friday and Saturday nights? Shannon, do you ever experience that that like especially in the bar with the with the bar back and all, how does that work? It's yeah, so what ends up happening with that and it's another reason going back to what I was saying earlier, it, the, we set it up over here to not only be a tip share a tip pool, but also be a, be a biweekly paycheck to kind of try to drive home a more professional ethos. Um, but as far as your, this particular thing, it's, I have the opposite. It's like, if, if it's not like, Hey, why does that person make so much money? It's like, wait a minute. I really only want to come in for the star bar shifts. You know, I'll come in after (laughs) the bar set up and leave for the cleaning. It's like, nah. Um, I, I, I just assume I, I like the idea of paying per shift um, because, and we can cut people that we don't need and they're there for a shorter amount of time uh, because most of my employees would rather show up, kind of be weeded and then leave. 
So things they don't want to do is the setup and mm-hmm. all the cleaning. The mopping. So it's like, so yeah. like I just assume not um, fracture it out more than a per shift basis um, because that's the part that I don't want to do. And for us, as opposed to um, some of those other ways, our promotion is always based on education. So if you learn enough to wait a table, then you have you earn certain amount of points per hour in the pool. If you get the next level, which is bar back or one of those, those are equal, but depending on which order, once you're both of those, you have one more point. If you, once you know how to bartend, you got a few more points in the pool. So Hmm. it doesn't matter if once you've been trained to bartend, if you're now waiting tables, you still get your amount of points in the pool. Like you've, you've earned that Hmm. by your knowledge. So that's the way we promote people by like, if you keep getting promoted, it's, I don't care what position you're playing, you're more valuable. And uh, Shannon, you're you're still on the classic system though, right? It's a tip share, but it there. Do you currently have a surcharge, or are you currently no. Uh, okay? No, uh, I don't currently. Uh, okay. I love the idea, but it's a bar. I, I can't put a. You know, when when we're back to being open, we serve a lot of food, but a lot of our customers having a drink or two, and that's just going to look a, that that math doesn't. It's harder to explain that to somebody from who's visiting downtown Durham from Iowa. They're in town for the weekend and they don't understand why they just got charged an extra buck. Yeah. Uh, they just don't get it. And we end up, we're fortunate enough at our, another reason when the benefit of pooling is that I can show people the average tip at Alley 26 is just north of 20%. So just do your job, do it well. It doesn't matter if that table screwed you or not. It doesn't matter. Right, because it's going to average out. Yeah. We're going to make more than 20% tonight. So just work hard. I, I I want to poke a couple holes in some of these uh, practices only because I want to hear what your solution is, or maybe I haven't thought of this yet. So, like, I'm going to talk to you, Francesca, specifically about this one. We talked about it when I was at Heyday, but okay. So you are offering your you you have the service charge already. The only problem that I see is actually on the servers at that point, or on the owners to make it abundantly clear to the. St- to the guests that a service charge is being implemented because no one in our team when we first got there understood this. And we noticed that when we were putting in a tip, your tip percentages were really small, like three and 5%. And we're like, why is the tip percentage so small? And we didn't get it until like the second round. And then somebody explained it to us. Oh no, there's already a service charge. So if you want, you're actually just adding 3% to the already, what is it? 15 or whatever. 15. So really you're you're giving an 18% gratuity at this point. But like but my my friends were just putting in a a 20% gratuity on top of the existing 15. So now they're leaving a 35% gratuity, not that they didn't want to give a bunch of money, but that wasn't their intention. So then it makes it feel like the bartender or the server who's receiving that tip is trying to seduce you or get get one over on you. Yeah, so I I will say that you did come on friends and family. We we're still working on training the staff yeah, geez, around Max. that. Well, it's okay, um, but this is not, it's no, not no, just no, you. It's, this it's is important. a thing that yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So we do since since you've come for friends and family. <laughs> it is something that, as the the cashier or bartender, you know, puts your check down or closes out your tab, they do say it. Um, and we also have signage, um, like very front facing on both of the bars now that, that have that. And even, even if you don't read that or you don't read the bottom of the receipt or the three, five and 7% don't sort of tick you off to like, there's something different here. There's a reason why they don't have the normal eight, like 15, 18, 20, um, mm-hmm. the, 
the staff is supposed to let you know at any point that you're closing out um, that there is a 15% service fee already on there um, just so that every, every it's very transparent and clear, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> let it be known, too, and I'm not backpedaling, but I, let it be known that I recently wrote an article in Raleigh Magazine to endorse this same practice. I said, the cost of food and the cost of beverage, uh, what, we, uh, what we mark up is mm-hmm. not enough to basically pay everyone equitably, and that I think there is now a cost of service that we also have to incorporate into just the dining experience. And if your experience is to just take it to go, well, that's still, there's a small amount, maybe not the same amount, maybe not 20%, but maybe it's, I don't know, 5% or, or 10%, but it's still something because someone had to package your food. They had to, they still had to cook the food. They still had to take your order. They still had to process your payment. They still had to do all the things except for maybe refill your glass of water or wine during your dining experience and occupy space. But, uh, my whole thought was the only way this is really going to work if we include service to the, an additional charge is if everybody does it. Because if if only I'm doing it and every restaurant around me is not doing it, then we're going to be perceived to be more expensive. And Jim, I would bring that up to you because – and forgive me if I over oversimplify, but you're kind of doing what the old Danny Meyer uh, idea was to kind of raise the, raise the entire cost of the check and uh, and go from there. Now, I did see during the pandemic, Danny Meyer's team decided to eliminate that and go back to the more traditional sense, mainly because he said, right now, the people that are actually going out to dine and restaurants at my Danny Meyer restaurants want to leave more tip than they would normally leave because they are empathetic to his server's uh, needs during the pandemic, so they want to leave more, but we're not allowing them really to leave more. So we said, screw it, we're just going to get rid of the whole tip on check thing and just let people be as generous as possible, at least for this temporary time. So, Jim, what what do you say to those that are looking at their check that's 22% higher than normal, and how does that conversation meld well with your, with your guests? I, I think that an industry that that doesn't account for covering its bills in, in what they charge can't survive. And that as minimum wage goes up and it will go up, and if tipping or service charge is kept in place, your costs are gonna have to go, you're, you're going to raise your prices and you're still gonna have this supplemental bill at the end. And you're going to price your people out of coming multiple times. I'm keeping the price where it was. My price is what I, what you paid last year. When you came in, you paid my price plus tax plus plus a tip. And a lot of people pay their tip, including tax. So, in a, in essence, I'm actually giving them a two to three percent decrease, even by raising it twenty two percent, because you're not paying a tip on on the seven and a half percent tax. Um, can you leave an extra tip? Is that available? If somebody wants, we were talking about a three, four, 5%. I think that's a weaning, you know, you're just weaning people off of it. Right. Cause I do know no. that there is a, there's a sense of a lot of people like to be ballers, let's say when they go out and they like to throw around the money and be flashy, but speaking but as a four, 5% isn't going to do that for them. I mean, you know, you're talking about the 60-year-old guy with the 20-year-old girl, and he's impressing her with the $100 tip. As a um, server, we loved those yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're just going to throw their money around in some other way. They're going to buy 
a bottle of Dom or they're going to do something else that's going to, you know, to impress the person without just throwing that money indiscriminately. I will say Shaquille O'Neal one time said to me as I was waiting on him at Jerry's Famous Deli in Westwood, California, he looked at me and said, what's the biggest tip you ever got? And he, at this point, had only ordered one iced tea and a turkey sandwich that he was sharing with his tiny (laughs) girlfriend, then not wife. Uh, Well, everyone's tiny next to Shaq. And I just didn't know what to think on my feet. And I went, uh, $100. And he said, I could beat that. And he left me $110. (laughs) Nice. I need more shacks. Hey, guys, everybody on this call, I I find myself stuck in the middle. And I have to imagine that people who are going to listen to this, you have on one end of the spectrum, you have the consumer who's saying, well, I'm fucked either way now. Like, I look like a bad guy if I don't want to tip a certain way. Or now I have to pay more. Or now I have to pay a surcharge, you know. And it's like, like you said, Jim, now I'm going to feel priced out or, you know, the, 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 people that we rely on to come to our restaurant two, three, sometimes four or our bar four times a month, you know, who are regulars that really keep the lights on, they might start coming less or might not come at all. Uh, Also, I I have the impression that now those people who dine out regularly are only going to stick to the best. So we're really going to cut out the fat in the restaurant industry. Maybe that's a good thing. But I also see the other side of it of like you guys, small independent restaurant owners who feel compelled. Yes, of course, I want to pay my people a minute, a, a what's what's a living wage you know what's considered a living wage and you're right $15 an hour does not necessarily it's not really a quality of life i mean you're just literally scraping by even if that's the case so as a, but but then you look at the books and i'm have to i have to think that these small business owners look at it and say i can't i can't pay my front of the house $15 and my back of the house $15 and make it work on that so like what, what? What is the harmonious midpoint that this is going to work for everybody? Yeah, what's it, the solution? <laughs> the money. The money's already in the pool. Is if it? I mean, with that, if you've been paying the back, your back of the house people reasonably, the front of the house people have been paid by the uh, by the guests. The money's already there. Those people are coming out to your restaurant and they're spending a certain amount of money, and they're going to continue to spend that much money each time they come. It's just a matter of semantics. You know, either uh, I raise the price so that the money is there. You walk out, you've paid the same amount of money, and everybody gets paid. The difference, though, is like, does the line cook ever get to the point where the line cook can make 25 to $30 an hour like the servers do? Or is, sure. that, that's, is that on the same table? Because yeah. I, I, don't, I rarely see the line cook getting that type of compensation. I feel like they kind of cap out. And, and maybe I'm wrong, so please tell me to anybody on, on the call that, like, are line cooks experiencing, like, $20 an hour plus uh, payment? Yeah. Um, in our model, we do any, anything over in, in living wage um, goes towards everyone getting a higher per hour wage. That's great. I mean, look, I, 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 I've always been a front of the house person, but I'm very cognizant of the, of the line cooks. And, yeah, they seem to get shit on a lot of times, so... Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think I think the important thing in, in this discussion right now is, right, like, I think we all know that the, the system of tipping is broken and, and inequitable, right? Um, and so it's all about how we can move forward confidently and bring guests, staff, and everyone else, you know, along in what the the next steps are here. Like, obviously, I, I would never want to tell another business owner how to run their business. Everyone needs to figure out the model that works best for them. But, you know, I think the service charge is, you know, sort of a stepping stone to having things 
included in many price that's that's as transparent as possible um, because right now with not everyone doing it as a, as a guest if I'm looking at menus online and I'm deciding where to go I'm probably going to go to the one with the lower menu price and so like until we get used to a, a system that has all of the you know wage costs built in in an industry like the restaurants it's going to be something that you know, we, we believe like it, having it transparent as a line item right now is a sort of stepping stone to getting to a way to retain guests, have them not have sticker shock, but also guarantee that we can pay our employees well. I, I think what we are taking from this is, and what I really appreciate is, we can all agree the old way of doing things is not the correct way of doing things. And that whether you are increasing your check average, if you're adding a service charge, if you're pooling the tips with front and back of the house, if you're doing whatever you can, those are solutions to what was considered kind of a broken system from before. And well, I think it it's a broken system. It was a system that was uh, based on uh, slavery and Jim Crow. I mean, we didn't even have a minimum wage mm. for servers until the 60s. A restaurant didn't have to pay a server anything until 60s. They were only paid their tips. It's not that the system was broken. The system never worked. From your, God, from your ears to God's ears, what is it? From your, from your lips, lips to God's ears. <laughs> yeah, I'm super religious, as well, you can tell. Also, I think it would be a terrible thing to waste the pandemic in this disaster. I mean, we've all been closed mm -hmm. uh, for on-premise. We we have this opportunity to start everything new, and why waste? I, I I see where you're coming from, Jim. It, from from where I'm sitting, though, I don't see any large organizations across America. Like I'm talking, you know, the the large hundred plus uh, unit groups. Nobody's really nobody's really following, you know, your what you're trying to do right now. Yeah, is Darden um, but, but doing this? No, is, no, literally not a single group no. I've ever talked to has even thought of the idea. And I think that tipping is so ingrained in the American culture. Like, you know, think about it. you go to a hotel, you want to tip the the bus, but you want you want to you want to tip the you know the person cleaning your room. There's all these elements of tipping that don't exist in other cultures. And I think that there's a great episode on Freakonomics that talks about I the emotions behind <laughs> yeah. tipping and what they yeah. concluded is yeah, it's not fair. There's a lot of reasons why it's not fair. But people enjoy the ability to tip across the board. And so if you take that away, there are going to be certain ramifications. I can't say what they're going to be. Um, and I think you could do a lot of the same things with tipping as you do with service charge. Like, um, you know, they might not have the ability to, to you know, adjust what they're tipping as much. But, you know, it, it still exists as, you know, if it's 20% service charge, I know that maybe it, it feels like I'm exchanging that tip for a service charge. And that's great, too. Um, Leaf of Tip House knows that the big companies aren't doing all this because he has yet to land one of them as a client. He's like, <laughs> wait a minute, if I can get Darden to, to buy into what I do at Tip oh, House, man. then I could do it. But uh, look, I know we're running a little bit long. I want to make sure that we do kind of get the last bits of out there. Uh, for one, uh, Leaf, just as your own plug for Tip House, like if someone's interested in understanding like how to diversify their their tips and all, how do we find you and what's that all about? Tips, service charge, anything you wanna you wanna do with uh with with those elements, um, go, go to www.tiphouse.com, schedule a demo. Um, house you know, is spelled H A U S. Yeah, like house Alpens for those of you in the uh, Bev. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, before we get out of here, has anybody got a soapbox they want to stand on to just, uh, Shannon, this is like, you're very rarely ever given the opportunity to just preach and I'm giving it to you right now. Hey, you know, it's not preaching. It's just like when you got to call people on their bullshit. And now I like that you're actually asking us questions that are like very specific. And especially, uh, with this one, I love it because there's three of us here that all have different ways of peeling the same onion. You know, yeah. we all want to do the same thing for me. I love that everybody's looking to try to figure out a way to get to, to take care of our people and to give them what they deserve. It's not, it's not a patriarchy. It's like business people who are operating businesses that have any kind of moral worth. <laughs> you know, we're not just trying to extract the last pound of flesh from our people. We actually want to keep them here and we feel some serious obligation to them and doing right by them. Our model here and at Crooks is now one of education. It's like, I want to build people so they can hopefully go further in this business. Uh, and so for us, it's all about yeah. education. And quite frankly, when we first came into COVID, people were like, all oh, these restaurants are going to close. Finally, it's going to be able to easy to hire people. I don't know about, <laughs> about y'all, but clearly that is no. the opposite of, of the case. It's very hard to get people. And so one of the things that the, the system of uh, Francesca uh, and Jim were talking about is we're looking for professionals, you know, here at Alley and at Crooks and uh, Francesca and Jim both spelled out a thing where we're all looking for people that aren't really trying to have their little fiefdom in the corner. You know, they want to be on a team and they want to feel like, like Jim said, they're making a yearly wage. They're making a wage they can depend on. And they're thinking of it like as adults, they're thinking of it like it's not gig labor. It's, this is my job. I'm a professional. I get paid every two weeks. And might even have benefits if 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 we can fucking figure that out. Yeah. Um, but a know. professional is only going to exist if the company treats them like professionals, and that's why it's not always easy to find these people. So I, I give kudos to you guys because you're you're concerned about making the job life uh, improved for someone so that they can actually look at their gig, not like what we always say, hate when we hear it being said, but oh, um, this is what I'm doing until I get my real job. <laughs> you know, this can be and should be. And really, in fact, the matter is, is a real job because everybody that is employed in the restaurant industry, food and beverage industry is paying their bills, hopefully, and is putting food on the table, putting you know clothes on their kids and all that stuff with the money they're making here. So respect the job. Employers respect the employee, the employees and make the job where it is a professional position. Well, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive, right? Like you can be serious about your job, want to grow as a person, yeah. but then also be looking to do something different. Yeah. I mean, or or yeah, or it could be a side hustle that is also a great place to work because they respect you. Yeah, Shannon, you just like sparked an idea. As Family Forward NC has been a sponsor of our show, one of the main takeaways from them is to not have turnover. Uh, of employees and I'm thinking about that and what you said about benefits and how we can figure that out. Well, couldn't we do, and Jim, maybe you can, couldn't we do like with a couple of small business owner, owners come together to provide benefits as somewhat of a, of, of a benefit share model or something like that? Because I know uh, Jim in reading the site about um, Orange County living wages is that if you provide benefits, you actually don't have to pay as much in wage for your employees. So, I don't know. I'm thinking out loud, but maybe that would be something think tanks like you guys can uh, come and lead the community in. 
I, I guess we should all just hope for uh, universal health care. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Until yeah. that happens. Uh, but no, but what, what Matt's talking about and actually what, what you're doing there is available and a lot of people don't realize this. I know specifically like DNCRLA or Shop Local Raleigh or a lot of these smaller groups that uh, kind of help work together. You can sign up. You can be a part of it as a small business. And then because of that, you're actually belonging to that larger group for healthcare benefits. That's the way uh, my wife's company food scene was able to accomplish that. Now she's graduated and she offers it now on her own. But in the beginning, she used that as a stepping stone by being a member of these type of companies. So that help that Matt's referring to is actually, is actually out there. There's not a lot of people know that you can do that. And healthcare providers like the insurance providers, they want to give healthcare to everybody. They want you cause they want that monthly payment. And so they don't care who's going to give it to you. They just want to know that you're somewhat organized and that someone's culpable for the, right. uh, the, the monthly payment. But if you and a bunch of restaurants together want to do it, you can find organizations that you can work with within to do that. Yeah. And I think when you think about that and then the perspective, just back to taking your restaurant industry job seriously, uh, if you look on, uh, on things about wage wages in this country, most many employees at Walmart, Amazon, huge, huge retailers, some of the biggest companies who, whose revenue stream is in the billions annually, their employees, a large percentage of them are still need government aid. And so when you think about that and you think about the money that is available that you can make in the restaurant industry, well, wow. I mean, why are we not getting more workers? Well, like I said, when we all start doing it, it that's where the social change will happen. But as Leaf even said, the big companies haven't really jumped on yet. So I'm looking at you, Darden. They're one of the biggest <laughs> restaurant companies in the country. If you've had a, an Olive Garden, right? That's, a, that's them. And uh, basically, if you eat at a big chain restaurant, it's probably Darden or like it's like four companies. So if you're going to do that and you're going to go to these places, be aware that this is how it happens. It shouldn't be the burden of all these small companies like Alley 26 and Glass Half Full and Heyday Brewing. But the burden is trickling down to these companies. And at least these companies are concerned about what's happening to their employees. So... Let that be uh, my like little Jerry Springer final note. Uh, is where you spend your money should be about you know like who cares about their employees and care is something where you're, you're thinking about how the money can be managed properly. Uh, at, at these businesses. Yeah. I really appreciate you all coming on. Let it be known, too, I like that uh, restaurant people are quick to go uh, like last second because aside from Leaf, you all agreed to be on this show yesterday and you're here today. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and it's an important topic. And so, yeah, yeah. really appreciate your guys' time on this. And uh, Anybody on social media, if you care about this stuff, we're going to post on Instagram, please either DM us or comment in our Instagram stories about this particular one. If you have thoughts, if you have, if you want a part two of this episode, if you want to be on an episode like this, let us know because this is what should be discussed more thoroughly and not just from these uh, four beautiful people. But uh, until then, Jim, Leaf, Francesca, Shannon, thank you again, everybody out there. Please go to these establishments, uh, check out Tip House. You will eat, drink, and earn very merrily. Thank you. Thanks for having us, y'all. Thanks for listening to the NCF&B Podcast. And if you've stuck with us this long, review us on iTunes, and remember, five stars are encouraged.